0: Welcome to Artthrob
1: where you'll find inquisitive conversations between Artthrob host Kate Savage and artists, writers, performers, producers, and artistic entrepreneurs about their work and all things arts related. Get to know who's doing the work, who's making the arts happen, and who's keeping them exciting and accessible. Gain an insider's view through these exchanges and a glimpse into the wonder-filled world of creative individuals. Hello and welcome to the Art Throb podcast. I'm Kate Savage, your host, and my guest for this episode is Alex Naramore. She's a sugar flower artist and mischief maker. We'll be discussing her art form, her love of gardening, and what inspires her. Alex Naramore owns The Mischief Maker, a bakery business here in Lexington, Kentucky. She is a botanically accurate sugar flower artist. She grows all of the flowers in her garden that she then uses later as live references to sculpt her sugar flowers. These sugar flowers adorn the cakes that she designs, and each sugar petal, stamen, and flower part is made by hand, and each finished bloom is then hand-painted. The cake designs are retired immediately after having been created and are never reproduced again. The detail work for each cake is painstaking and can take many weeks of preparation. Alex works with her mother on the sugar flowers at her grandmother's house in eastern Kentucky. So whether at Mormor's or at home downtown in Lexington, she can always be found somewhere between the garden and the studio, and usually with her fabulous irish setter mocha on her <laughs> heels and i had to put that little plug in there because i have english setters so we have that in common and of course we think that <laughs> the setter breed is just the best right it so is the alex best. alex has been recognized worldwide within her field including periodical publications news outlets and was named for one of the top 4 international wedding cake designers 2015 by the Cake Masters and the 2017 winner of the Award for International Wedding Cake Artists of the Year by the Golden Tear Awards. In 2018, the mischief maker was named one of the top 10 cake artists in the United States by Cake Masters magazine. She's taught and given lectures at several national gardening clubs and is soon to publish her first book, not quite sure when, but it's in the works, and this is called Mischief Maker, Inspirations and Musings of a Sugar Flower Artist. So, first of all, welcome, Alex.
0: Thank you. That was a, that was a very nice introduction.
1: <laughs> well, good. We like to sort of set the stage. I remember when I was growing up, things like being a teacher or being a nurse or being a secretary were sort of the options when it came to a career. And I often marvel at how many amazing things people have since found that don't involve any of those professions to actually make a living. And nobody ever suggested that I become a sugar flower artist. So tell me, how you happened upon this and how you've sort of developed that into a livelihood.
0: Well, I would say I went to this little private school in Knott County. It was on Alice Lloyd college's campus called Jim Buchanan. Basically they wanted you to do anything that was productive or a career that would be stable for you to make some sort of money financially. So they wanted people to be doctors, lawyers, teachers, nurses, And I had taken an art class at the college and I loved it. And I didn't know what I would, I was making some cakes. They weren't very good necessarily because I was in high school at that time. But I thought maybe that it would be a good way to funnel the art career into the cakes and make it a business. So that's kind of how that started.
1: So, you like baking and you thought that maybe there was a future in baking and selling cakes, which you have since found there was and is. But how did that actually evolve into then the creation of these extremely intricate and extremely gorgeous sugar flowers?
0: Well, we were making, uh, or I was making the cakes and I was in college at the time, I was teaching myself to bake dragging hard copies of baking books around. Um, I knew I could go to school for business, art, or culinary. And so I did choose art for college. But so the baking, I had to teach myself. So in at that time, I was teaching myself how to bake and then like learning the art during the day in school. And I was home for the weekend at, at Mamaw's house um, in Jenkins. And I believe we had a Sylvia Weinstock book laying on the kitchen table, and my mom probably regrets this, but she walked past the table and said, "If anybody was going to make it with those sugar or with those cakes, it'd be with those sugar flowers." And so after that, she kind of unknowingly indoctrinated herself to work on them for the next fifteen years. So, <laughs> and that's what we did. We um, started making them and looking at pictures each time and slowly improved each time with would study just the finish, like what, what small thing could be improved and would pick small things. And each time they got better and better. And we've been doing them together for 15 years, 16 years. I can't remember. Well, that's
1: pretty amazing, really, when you think about it, how it just happenstance and it triggered this this whole skill and form of artistry that has now evolved into something that to receive all these accolades from uh, trade magazines and trade organizations so that you are being recognized as someone who's close to the top in your field when it comes to these sugar flowers. It's something that you do with your mother all the time?
0: It is. Basically, after she said that, I went home And uh, I went back to school in Richmond and I took a wedding cake order and we had no idea how to do, I had no idea how to make sugar flowers at that time. And basically she holds weddings very dear to her. So she would not let me ruin someone's wedding. So she said that she would help me and that's how we started together on them. So (laughs) that was a key point.
1: (laughs) So I'm sure you've come a long way since then, but Tell us how, in fact, sugar flowers are made. What what do you start with? What is the actual ingredient?
0: So it is um, an, an additive form of sculpture. Each each piece is made from the center out, and then um, so you make your middle, and then um, the stamens and the petals are all added one by one. Some people think it's subtractive, like you start with a big block of something and chip it away, but you but you don't it's made from um, an edible sugar dough called sugar paste or gum paste and it's much like cold porcelain or clay it, it behaves very much like
1: it. it could be easily compared to sculpting in clay and each yes. petal and each stamen is added by hand or do you have actual tools that you use to form petals
0: by hand Usually and ideally, a flower is growing in the garden, and I would go and cu- cut a reference and take that reference apart and copy each piece of that specific flower. They're all very individual. There's no mass produced element to it.
1: So no wonder it takes so long, Alex. I mean,
0: it does take forever.
1: <laughs> and I very carefully chose the word painstaking because I could just imagine how long and how <laughs> arduous it is. Do you have to work kind of against the clock like you do with clay, or keep it wet? Is there any particularly ticklish aspect of it?
0: You do have to work very quickly um, on on certain certain things, definitely, and it is you know if if you mess it up you just start over and it, it's very humbling in that way i did not have patience and do not have patience naturally but it's taught me patience and my mom's been very instrumental in that we would that is a, one of the ways that we did progress and we still do this if we work a week on a flower and it's wrong then we we throw it out so that that is similar to the way that you if you have to work quickly and you take too long like you said then you just start over.
1: So it is kind of a temperamental medium.
0: It's very temperamental. And it also um, doesn't respond well to humidity or heat. So we have to run dehumidifiers all the time to take the moisture out of the air and then, you know, make sure that it's in like a regulated air-conditioned, like 70 degrees sort of place. And we're used to those things, so we really don't think much of it at this point. But for most people, it's it would be hard to keep them afloat.
1: It sounds as if you learned as you as you went along. You you kind of learned by mistakes and then trial and error. That's true. Is your mother basically a partner in the business
0: with you? She she is. She honestly is so good at it, but doesn't really. She does. If if you said, "Do you want to do it?" She'd be like, "No, I don't." <laughs> so she doesn't have the interest in doing them all the time but she's very good at it so I don't know I mean yes she basically is (laughs) Mm partnering
1: but I mean you do them independently it's not as if you need her to actually create the flowers
0: we well we pass them back and forth so we do work together Um, I'm good at animating things and figuring out scale any sort of like scale of and painting, and she's very good at just like little details. I mean, I could go and make a flower on my own, and I'm sure she could go and make a flower on her own, but we definitely work best together. She loves tiny, fiddly, detailed, the tiniest thing, but panics when it comes to how many petals something has and what the scale is or how to paint it. But we work well together.
1: So you mentioned painting. So here you've got this sugar paste that you've made a flower out of, let's say a rose. Okay. So you've Mm -hmm. made a rose. Do you have to fire it like you would clay or does it dry? And then how do you treat it after that to paint it?
0: So it is very flexible and, and manipulative and you can manipulate it until it dries. But as soon as it dries, it is as fragile as a Christmas ornament. So if you drop it, if anything happens at all, um, if you knock against it, barely, it will crack. Mm. And that's the other thing is that the cakes on a whole take a month to make. So people ask if there are extras made of the flowers and you couldn't possibly make extras and then also get all of the, the elements done. So they are very fragile. Um, so once it's dry, and you can do it when it's wet, I I kind of don't have a set method um, for doing anything every single time there there's a flower. I think like an like anemone, an for example, we've done them 300 ways. Like, And each time we sit down, it's not like there's a note taken to do, to do them identically ever again. But once they're dry, I let them dry first, usually not all the time. <laughs> I go in and make each color individually, usually from a live reference or an image um, that the client or that I have pulled up um, and then match each, each shade in the flower that I'm copying and then go in and, you know, start to paint it and develop the shadows and the highlights and all of those things.
1: What would you say is the most difficult flower to reproduce this way? Or the one you found the most challenging?
0: Usually it's difficult if you've just never encountered it before and are trying to figure it out.
1: I think of like a peony, though, Alex, with so many petals to it. And oftentimes, you know, it's so tight that the intricacies of putting something like that together, and if you say you build it from the inside out, there's very little margin for error.
0: (laughs) That is true. I I do make a lot of peonies though, because girls love peonies. It's like one of the most beloved flowers. And so that's, that's one that I definitely think that I've made hundreds of ways, like you're saying, and there is such variety in that flower because you have um, the center, which is always the same, even if it's opened or closed. And I find it best to go ahead and Sculpt all of the pieces that are included in the flower, even if I put the petals over the center and enclose it, like it's still there. Because usually um, the flower takes better form. I think most people try to shortcut different steps, but then if you actually build the internal structure the way that it actually is, it's like it will make the shape that it's supposed to make just because it's like actually in there. Not so much with peony, but. I do think it's important for the peonies too, but I think all of it's important. Um, But the peonies do have, um, you know, you have the ones with the open centers with like lots of stamens. So on those, every single stamen would be handmade, but then the fluffy ones are like the Sarah Bernhardt's and all of that stuff are different altogether. So we're, we're kind of quick at, not quick, but you get quicker on different things if, um, if you're used to it. So I, I would say, you know, we've, we we, I, we have both worked on peonies for like many years at this point because people love them so much. So it just depends. I've
1: thought of one. I've thought of one that I bet's tough. Okay. What about a lilac? What about a lilac? Because you've got all those little tiny flowers on the end of, of the little – sort of not branches, but, I mean, it's made up of multi-flowers.
0: That is true. A lilac would be – I think we have done a lilac before. That would be cool to do a big, massive. I've thought that before, um, like for a gallery, or oh, even
1: a that. wisteria, something like a wisteria. I mean, those those would be very challenging to.
0: I reproduce. did a wisteria on. Um, they are, and that's another one. Um, like I said, that okay, like you know, on, on the wisteria, that the little buds that are tiny. So on that, I, we actually put the pod in inside the little um, like the un- unbloomed wisteria. So it actually did have that internal little bead in there and it made it fluff up the right way to do it that way. <laughs> I remember that was on a cake that was a, um, a, a mashup of great, a uh, great Dixter's gardens and Egypt because the couple had been engaged in Egypt, I think. And so it had palm leaves, and um, I found these beautiful pictures of a wisteria growing with the palm trees in Egypt somewhere, and so I mixed the concepts together for their cake. So that was the cake. That's probably the only time I've made wisteria, though.
1: And do you use food coloring or some other kind of coloring?
0: All of the pigments are dry dust pigments. Every, every shade is, ma- I have to make each shade and match it to what I'm doing, but that's how you start is with a some sort of dried colored pigment. And then um, usually my palette are paper towels, <laughs> so I kind of like make all of the colors that I want to use on that and I'll honestly like fold it up and keep it um, for the duration of the whole project because you can't go back and it's very hard if somebody was to throw that away to... Make sure that the colors in the whole cake are consistent. But you can, and I do, um, paint wet also. So if you take vodka and mix it with the dry pigment, it makes it a, a liquid paint, and you can do. Um, so you can't. You can paint wet. If I want it to be really saturated, um, I do that. You can steam things to set the color. You can put glazes on things millions of times if you want to. So we kind of are very experimental and never do the same thing twice. So at this point we and I think I know my my options and do kind so of So
1: actually, I mean it would be very easy for someone to think about a sugar flower and dismiss it as some sort of a, a sort of a form of icing. But what you have done, and your mother, is you've taken this whole thing really to another level. And not only that, but you've incorporated several different art forms. So, for example, you bake, which is a culinary form of art, and your cakes presumably hold up alongside your flowers. So, uh, you know, the cake is uh, hopefully yummy and also Really, super looking. Um, so. You you do sculpting um, that's equivalent to like working in clay, but you're working in sugar paste, and then you're also working with paint. So you do painting, and not only all of that, but let's back up to the beginning. You grow the flowers that you also use as your um, for your examples that you work from. So talk a little bit about your gardening and your love of flowers in that capacity from the natural stage, from planting the seeds, Alex, to then actually harvesting your flowers from the garden that you work from as your, um, I don't want to say template, because if I say that, it infers that it's sort of something that's repetitious, whereas the uniqueness of your work is quite obvious that you create completely one-off designs and one one-off flowers as well. but the gardening part is almost as important to you, isn't it?
0: The garden is very pivotal and in, in in the cake designs at this point. Um, I think that we had a few things growing and realized how much easier it was to be able to go outside and cut something and see how it's made. and then honestly, And and ideally, you would want several of that flower so that if you want to take one apart, you can take it apart. But the thing if you take something apart is you no longer know what it looked like once it was together. And if there is only one bloom of something, you do have to just take pictures of of that bloom because once you mess or start to pull apart, you have nothing left to go on. So, (laughs) which we have done.
1: You're destroying your uh, product, yes. How
0: how, how was it? (laughs) So so I do ideally, um, when I have a design, I try to put, I have a friend that said, so I'm under the impression that you plant the garden a year in advance or plant the sugar flowers a year in advance. And I said, I had no idea what he meant. And then I thought, oh, you're right, I do, because basically whenever they're put into a design, I try to make sure that for the next year when the cake time comes to actually do the sculpting that that flower is growing that I need if we we didn't already have it. So, I mean, ideally you want the garden to be as diverse as possible with as many varieties of things as possible so that... If you need to see how a clematis is put together or a dahlia, you can go and and cut it. And um, if if the cake is seasonal, like with seasonal blooms, that's that's great. Because when you're actually doing it, I find it better to do the flowers closer to time. But when you're actually doing them, it, you could go and cut a dahlia and then make a dahlia. But in the case, sometimes with sugar, it is... It is fun to do dreamier things that are out of season and combine them together. Um, so, in that in that case, still the garden is pivotal. You could go out and cut a daffodil and save like a like a an archive of those petals and keep that. Um, and then when it's fall, pull it back out again and still use the live something that was influenced by the garden and your mm-hmm. records.
1: So you don't actually stockpile. You don't make them and stockpile them. Because I was wondering about seasonal flowers, if someone were to have, say, a winter wedding and they wanted peonies. um,
0: Yeah, that's true. So I don't do that. I keep records of of the flowers and then um, like maybe past ones that I I have. But um, I keep like pressed versions of the petals from the garden to reference out of season, Mm -hmm. but nothing is, um, nothing is stockpiled and made in advance because it's just too hard to ensure that you can keep it afloat for that long. So, um, Mm -hmm. I had a wedding that was postponed over and over and over again due to the pandemic and then the flooding in Eastern Kentucky. And that was that cake, um, it was a midsummer night stream cake it has almost every single imaginable thing on it it um, was stopped and started probably three times and i would say 3 months of work is in that cake so each time you had to make sure that you could keep those flowers until the actual wedding was. so it's very nerve wracking um, and i just think it and I, and because of that i would go back and redo and relayer and retouch up all the colors and make sure everything was still perfect over and over and over again. Uh, I do think that they fade and look best when they're made closer to time.
1: Would you, would you say that your typical client is wedding cakes? Do you do other cakes?
0: I think that it is typically wedding cakes, just because that's just traditionally when someone is willing to spend on a sort of Smudge. like splurge on <laughs> yeah. on them yeah. um mm-hmm. but not necessarily i have had um some people that just don't want to get married and they want to have a big party and they're like you know i'm never going to get married but i want one and i'm like okay that's fantastic you don't need to get <laughs> married just to buy cake i don't advise it <laughs> so, yeah, that's um but um well I remember
1: from my own catering days Alex that cakes wedding cakes are a nightmare anyway especially when it comes to transporting them. I can tell you many hair-raising stories where cakes of cakes have wound up in the back of my car or <laughs> having slid off each other, each of the tiers anyhow. And I can imagine that with the added element of the sugar flowers, and presumably you construct it when you arrive where you're going. And then, of course, there's always heat in the summer. I really applaud your efforts, and I think you must have steely nerves because, as I said, Having spent 30 years in the catering business, the cakes for weddings were something I tried to give a wide berth to (laughs) and make sure that they weren't something that I was involved in in any way. I often wound up having to cut them, but cutting them was fine. I could cut them and that would be fine. I want to talk a little bit about your book as well, because I'm excited that you have this uh, coming out at some point in the future. And there's this lovely piece that I want to read from the review that you got from Ali Egan, um, a quote from the foreword. And she says, and I think it's, I think it's lovely. Viewing Alex's sugar art is like peeking through a looking glass to 18th century royal confectioners whose work tables and gardens look much like Alex's today. Simple tools, materials, and sugar to make absolutely exquisite and ephemeral designs. Dennis Diderot validates in his 18th century encyclopedia that the confectioner is a highly regarded trade of the culinary arts, equivalent to other artists working in paint, sculpture, and other media. And I think we sort of proved that through talking to you today and discussing the things that, you do and the obstacles you have to clear to create your flowers. The book is going to be one with recipes or is it your thoughts and pictures? What What can we anticipate?
0: So it's kind of the merging of two concepts. It follows through all the stages of the creative process from the designs with the clients um, and like through baking and delivery, there are pictures of all of the, the sketches, the brainstorm sketches, um, different images of the garden there. Um, I didn't mention this earlier, but, um, growing things from seed is a a huge part of what we do because when you grow things from seed, you can choose the blooms that you then sculpt and you can, Choose a, a greater, uh, the most beautiful variety of a sweet pea or a foxglove. And then when you cut it to have it in front of you, it's that much prettier or to paint. It's that much prettier. So in the book, there there is a a portion about how to grow flowers from seed. There are a few little recipes scattered in. Um, and the the other part of the concept is based on a, a book from the 1940s called... Um, The Gardener's Nightcap, and it has musings and thoughts one right after the other. So I definitely have lots of erratic sort of musings and thoughts. So they're kind of distributed amongst the stages of the creative process with the other. So it's really um, about, I would just say, creative life in general and how all of that plays together is one thing.
1: Well, I'm very much looking forward to its publication. It sounds as if it probably will fall into a, a kind of a cookbook slash coffee table book, and so the kind of thing that will make a wonderful gift um, for anybody who's interested in any kind of the any kind of the culinary arts. We have pretty much run out of time. I've developed a very new reverence for what you do for the art form that you have honed, Alex. And I wish you well.
0: Thank you for asking me to be on here, Kate.
1: Well, you're very welcome. It's been delightful talking to you.
0: It's always good to talk to you.
1: And if you'd like to know more about Alex and the work that she does and see some of the photographs of her cakes and especially her sugar flowers, you can go to the Arts Connect website, www.artsconnectlex.org, and there is a drop down dedicated to the podcast that we produce, and you can see Alex Naramore and learn a little bit more about her and then see some of her exquisite work. Thank you again, Alex. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. For more information about this and other Art Throb podcast conversations, visit the Art Throb page at www.artsconnectlex.org.